Dishing It Out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins, a Go Loud original podcast. Proudly sponsored by Cully and Sully. Tastes like homemade. Grab a Cully and Sully for soup season. Go Loud. Sounds better with us. Welcome to another episode of Dishing It Out with me, Gary O'Hanlon. And me, Gareth Mullins. A Go Loud original podcast sponsored by Cully and Sully. And coming up on today's show, we'll be answering all your culinary dilemmas. We'll be talking to the lovely Maya Dunphy, another MasterChef contestant from back in the day. And uh, we'll be chatting all things food and what's going on in the business. Okay, so it's Gadget of the Week, Gareth, and uh, over to you. What are you bringing to the table this week? I hope it's something a wee bit less <laughs> snobby than a poxy truffle shaver. <laughs> You're trying to make me more relatable, eh? I'm going for a, a Nutribullet. So the reason I'm going for that is that, I mean, you were shaking your head away there. It's you doing the little hand blender, but I actually think these Nutri Bullets are such a handy piece of kit. It doesn't have to be that brand, but they're brilliant for soups, smoothies, uh, sauces, gravies. Like, I'm always asked. They blend spaces, actually. They're yeah, yeah they're, they're really, really yeah. cool piece of kit. And the only thing, if just if you're ever blending that and hot in them, just be careful that the lid is really tight. That's the only thing I'd say to you. But the, I'd say the most commonly asked question that I'm asked is how do you make gravy? And like, if you learn how to roast a piece of meat, like if you put it on a trivet of vegetables, so your carrots and onions, uh, celery, leek, bit of garlic, few herbs, and then you deglaze that with some liquor, like beer or wine or whatever. And then if you blend that, blend the veg, like you're halfway there to gravy and as your cooking comes on a little bit you learn how to roast that up a little bit more and make it darker and darker and darker really is where that's where the skill comes in but they're not just for blending smoothies even though they are brilliant like my kids use them after sport all the time if your bananas are going off never put them in the bin peel them break them up into a oh, bag yeah. throw that's them when they're the at fridge. their best they are yeah but like it like and then your kids now throw a few of them whether it's your strawberries that are left over or bananas or whatever berries there are in there with a splash of milk uh my uncle's a bit older now he puts a scoop of whey protein in with it as well yeah. and into the Nutribullet and then that thing has a lid he can bring it to school with him or mm. so I think they're not that expensive there's a nice motor on them so it blends nearly anything yeah um, that's my gadget a week good bit of kit no it's a good call yeah and to be fair I was giving you a wee slag in there but yeah <laughs> very familiar with them and they are brilliant I, think I can't wait what you're going to say I'm, now come on well, what have I'm, you got I'm actually going to go with a stand mixer um, whatever your brand of choice is I mean I think most houses now everybody does a wee bit of bacon obviously the bake off shows have become massive a stand mixer whether you're making pizza dough or you're making breads cakes buns whatever it may be um, personally I use the, the Kenwood K-Mix or the Titan Titanium Chef, whatever it's called. They look good now as well. That's another thing about these stand mixes, the kitchen aids as well. They're really funky. You can go in. I mean, I, I, I'm old school. I, I I love Arnott's. I love going in there. Downstairs in Arnott's is just paradise for a chef. And you've got all the different machines and colours. I think Briscoe's is down there. And, um, and you have it forever. It's the piece oh, of kit that you'll only buy one of them. Yeah. And they're an investment. Yeah. But if you're into it, like, I'm glad you said pizza though there because... Mm. You just can't make a pizza dough as well with your hands as no. you can with a, 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 like your dough hook. Yeah, because the dough hook is, is working the gluten yeah. way, way more. No matter how handy your triceps are or how, how strong you are. It in your, can be done. But. It can be done, yeah, but um, there's no two ways about it. I mean, A, you're speeding up the process, but B, you're getting a far, far better worked dough. And 
everybody backs at some. I mean, Cora wanted to do buns for school for a Yay. wee thing last week, and she was using the stand mixer. It was Nettie's birthday on Sunday, so we we backed some stuff for her. Again, I love I love using it for dough. I don't do a ton of backing, but again, we Ollie is a treat. Maybe once every two weeks, he likes an eating mess, obviously. Oh, yeah. So you know, meringue. everything making meringue or whipping up cream, or whatever it may be. So yeah, my gadget is a good stand mixer. Yeah, absolutely essential to any house where anybody's cooking. Yeah, and if you are building your kitchen towards being able to cook a little bit better, it's bits of kit like that Mm. that will really, they'll push you into harder recipes, I think. Because, you know, it's the easiest, oh, I don't have a stand mixer, I'm not doing it. Well, the other thing is, is when you buy something like that, right, it actually encourages you to use it. That's what I mean, like it'll get you going, it'll it'll bring your cooking along. Yeah. I mean, in professional kitchens, there's two or three of them. There's big industrial ones down to small ones on the patient Yeah, but the other other thing when you you buy these machines is most of them then have attachments. So they come with pasta machines so yeah. you, you you hook on the pasta the pasta roller so you, you're you're passing your pasta dough through it for just sheets of pasta then you'll get one or two cutters whether it be tagliatelle and spaghetti is usually the ones that you get and they also have uh, mincers yeah yeah so you like whenever the motor is going it's almost like if you ever picture a tractor there's a PTO in the back of a tractor you've lost me a what it's P- called what? a PTO and uh, and on the back I know yeah but on the back of a mixer as well well, they'll have like a wee cap yeah, yeah. the candle one of the kitchen age you pull off the wee uh, shiny detail that has the brand yep. and inside then you'll you see, see this the little the little internal motor is going and when you get the attachment it clicks right into that you're basically blend, you're, you're basically connecting right into the heart and oh. soul of the motor and you can mince your own trimmings of beef or trimmings of pork make your own sausages they come with sausage making I'm telling you these are absolutely unbelievable machines and uh, and look you can buy them in any good electrical store like I know experts have them all around the country uh, if you're in Dublin as I say I mentioned Iron it's, I love the display that's down there and uh, you'll see different brands and makes you know yeah, I have a, I have a kitchen and, and KitchenAid is brilliant as well yeah. and they last as Gareth forever. said forever you buy it once well worth the investment for any house for sure This week we have the wonderful television presenter, producer, writer, uh, Moya Dunphy, and really good friend, I would like to say also. We've come be, become good friends over the years. You're very welcome to dishing it out. Thank you, girl. Uh, I don't recognise you in your clothes. Okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> in your civvies. Exactly, you always see me in my chef's suits, and you're always like presenting something or I'm doing panicking. Yeah, I don't think panicking. you're ever panicking. You're always very calm. I am. Do you know what? I've, I've learned, and it's funny, Gary, because I, I would have done a few events in the marker, um, several events, actually, some of them harder than others. But I do, I get very nervous. It's not my natural habitat at all. But I keep telling myself, no one else knows you're nervous. So, you know, you've nervous done your work. Do you really be nervous? Yeah. But every time I see his face, I always make a beeline for him and just give him a hug and go, oh, just tell me about the food or something. <laughs> go, you'd be grand, you'd be grand. But. And the the food at these uh, events are not all like I mean it's normally two hundred and fifty people that they're normally an event for something or other. A lot of people aren't really there for the food. They're there to get they're there for my ass. That's really yeah, helping her for the next get one. Their photograph taken. <laughs> no, a lot. Pick up an yeah. award and, uh, and no disrespect or 
generalisation, but a lot of them wouldn't be big eaters either. That is, uh, the that style yeah. awards and there's people bet into dresses and uh, it's always it's always a very uh, and from from where I'm standing the kitchen side of it, it like you never know what's going to happen because I'll give you one year in particular there was 243 guests guess how many vegan meals I was asked for out of 243 243 the main course was beef fillet right so Ooh. a very popular main course normally at, a, at an event 35 okay 92 it's close huh? it was 83 ah! 83 vegans normally you get the heads up like normally like oh there's going to be 10 in the room or yeah I mean that was a v- oh there was no heads up no you had 90 something not On vegetarians but vegans yeah. did you have the, you obviously had the stock or yeah it was a it was a bit of a the loaves and the fishes job yeah. <laughs> make it happen <laughs> yeah. and you know what again this is not going to be a popular thing to say but a lot of the time that's a last minute decision from by people saying I want to be seen to yeah would you know it's gas well I was, I was just going to say out, out of the 92 or 93 a good solid 85 of them was dying for a fillet of beef. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but five years ago, you remember when gluten was the enemy and everybody was uh, like, you, no one was eating bread because that was the buzz thing at the time. And like that particular year, like th- that was half the room were celiacs when actually it's, I think it's 0.2 of the population oh, in Ireland oh are actual celiacs. It's grand if you're not eating bread, that's okay, yeah. but say that, don't say you're a celiac. And then that died down, like gluten-free now is gone. Like that was a real thing there yeah, for years in kitchens. Like yeah. now it's, if a celiac is in the yeah. restaurant, they announce themselves. And you well, celiac that. is a disease, but, it, but like, it's not like gluten intolerance. But really, really serious. Like if you, if you. Oh, but yeah. this was always the, this was always the problem for proper celiacs. Like is, you know, the fear then that, well, and any kitchen I've ever been in, I'm sure Gareth runs his the same way I run my kitchens. Like you got to, you got to treat Everybody as if it is somebody with celiac yeah. disease, even though deep down you knew it was probably a wee bit of a fad. But I, I always remember one Wednesday night in Viewmount House. I, it was like a Wednesday night in the winter. It was kind of quiet. And it was, it was a week before the Food and Wine Awards because I remember that Sunday a big piece in the end came out. But on the Wednesday night, I just stuck up a wee random tweet or whatever. But there was 43 people in the restaurant that night and 33 of the 43 had an allergen which really blew my mind, like, which was really above and beyond. So I just stuck up a tweet. It wasn't really given out. I was like, I said, this is a first for me, down along these lines, this is a first for me, 43 in the restaurant tonight, a relatively quiet Wednesday night, and 33 different allergies. Now, some were the same, you know what I mean? Like, but 33 diners out of 43, and then a journalist rang me on the Thursday somebody else rang me for, oh no no everything's cool like do you want to talk just no 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 and then celebrity chef <laughs> slates people on Sunday and I was like oh, oh shit God. and I was like but James and Barrow were driving to Dublin to like we were going to the Food and Wine Awards at the Four Seasons and I was like don't fucking read the paper today please don't read the paper yeah, but I guarantee that part I'm a huge fan of statistics and logic and the fact is I would say some of the people had intolerances not allergies yeah, yeah. and that's okay. but I got married in Seville and we had this beautiful hacienda we brought the whole kitchen out with us well. at the last minute so one of the guests emailed and said oh just so you know I have a nut allergy oh. and I went Jesus and my Spanish is okay but not that good and I was ringing the caterers going hola and she was like look here's the thing we are bringing the kitchen out there a nut allergy means an entirely separate preparation yep. area yeah. it changes everything so I rang the guy and said look no disrespect to you I'm going to bring you a plate my mum will bring a plate of food for you covered in cling film and I'm so sorry you'll have to eat that he's like oh look he said it's not really an allergy as such it's more just you know I just hate them and I went 
fucking ballistic. Oh my like, god! Ballistic. And you're when to? I know, but I would have all that is inconsiderate. Would, would have added so much money to the and stress to the kitchen. To uh, anyway. I just wonder do people not understand sometimes? You know, like yeah. the, no, they know, don't. They don't. I'm no, saying no, like a gluten intolerance. Yeah, you might get a bit farty, but like you're not. You know, mm. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Get yeah. A bit farty, don't yeah, you? Yeah. Of course. And come here. <laughs> what about uh, your uh, Master Chef experience? Oh, How was that? God, my, do you know what? There's a story I've wanted to tell about Master Chef for ten years. I know you had David Gilligan before. Yeah. Well, now is the first now's the time. But it's not actually. It's not a brilliant story, and no one's going to give a shite. And it was I, I when Master Chef, and I heard David, and he was he's he's an, he's an athlete. He's organised, yeah. and we were all when we were we were booked for the show. We were all advised that if you know someone with a restaurant or a chef take the chance go in work in the kitchen see how it works I had just got my first ever series I had done two documentaries I've been writing for comedy for 10 years but I got I did two documentaries and I got my own series and I would start to film my own series it was tight budget tight schedule and then MasterChef rang and I went I would love to do that um, come here why did you why, why did you say that because that's the bit that intrigues me but why people want to go in and do MasterChef because it's one of those it's one of these few reality shows that is I mean I love food and oh, yeah. I, I enjoy cooking mainly because I like eating I think if you like eating you yeah, will yeah, have to too. learn to love yeah, man, yeah. you know I have friends who go oh I love food but you don't really and they live on live on noodles and toast but yeah. I love food so I like cooking now, I'm well, not food, I, I, I mean I can't remember the dishes but I vividly remember at the time going I was like Jesus Christ it goes like she oh, is talented I'm not so, though, uh, but I love I get really excited by food yeah. and the older you get the more life sucks the joy out of you sometimes but <laughs> I still get like I ate in Forbes Street in Garrett's new restaurant the other week in the market rough enough and yeah, in the Anantara and it was <laughs> like when the food comes down and it looks so beautiful and it smells so beautiful and I'm lucky I have no intolerance I have no allergies and I will try anything and it's just there's so much joy mm. and my mum who passed away last year was, was Spanish and I grew up in a house with lots of different kinds of food and my mum said you know someone who doesn't love food doesn't have a love of life or a joie and your mum like was just, a proper cook right? she, you know what? Really she would say herself she was a home cook but she yeah, took yeah. chances and she yeah. tried new things and mm. she would kind of go like we'd have things like she go they had shark in the fish shop so I bought it and you go no what the heck <laughs> and you know and then my Spanish grandmother would always make homemade brine and stuff like that which was revolting but she'd make a huge paella at New Year in the massive dish and put every like there was stuff in it that was unidentifiable and her English wasn't great Delicious. and you go what's, what's this mummy done and she'd say I never said oh that's turgid and I went turgid <laughs> I know it's turgid and she goes and she, I said is it sturgeon no it's turgid I said we don't we still did it was this brown thing that looked like meat and tasted like fish and wasn't tuna to this day but didn't didn't kill us so yeah yeah didn't, didn't make us stronger either. and how did you find the pressures that uh, Master Chef brought with it oh it was awful well the story was I I I'd started filming my four part series and I was the exec producer I was writing it I was hosting it it was a lot of pressure but my producer I said to her I'd love to do this now I don't know if people know Master Chef when it airs is on every week but it's what's called block recorded so the studio is expensive to set up so you record it every single day and each show took two days to shoot. Um, so it was really full on so I said to her look I'd love to do it I'm not going to get very far so I'd say you know I might be a week or two off the shoot and off the, the my, my series shoot and she went Uh-oh. well okay so if you stayed in for the whole time it would be maybe three and a half four weeks um, but I said I'll be in it for maybe a week I'd say and she's like okay but she said we really can't because we have to pay the, our camera crew for my series because we'd booked them already I was like no no it'll be fine so I started and I got through episode one episode two but after episode after we shot episode two the producer of MasterChef said to us oh listen guys um, 
if you get to the final, you've got to give us your menu now, your three-course menu now. The right to menu there. Yeah, and I went, sorry, what? I said, sure, and I'd love, I loved watching Mash. I said, sure, the yeah. point of this show is you learn as you go. Yeah. I'm a novice. So you do restaurant challenges, <clears throat> dessert challenges, and you and you learn. So when you get to the final, yeah. you, pull it you, you put it all together. You learn together. And she went, there's a reason why we can't do that this year. We can't tell you why, but you've got to have your three courses in by tomorrow morning. This is interesting. Mm. And uh, we had to sign a non-disclosure for 12 months so I couldn't tell this story. And I'll tell you why I want to tell now. But so anyway, so I went home and we just, we had done four days in a row and you're talking 12, 16 hour days. Mm-hmm. And half they, days. They take your phone. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's quick. It's quick. Yeah, half days. And um, so I got home knackered and I thought, oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, what will I do? And I thought, if I went to a restaurant, what would I like to eat? And that's not how you should choose your final menu. So I did seafood ravioli with fresh scallop I did a steak and homemade chips and a chocolate um, what you call it the fondant fondant, fondant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. so if you think about it take a step back all three things are t- that can't be made in advance that have to be mm-hmm. cooked and served fresh but I thought and also they're not they're not final menu things but I thought you had to write everything down including every utensil every pinch of salt oh for god I mean I'll explain you I'll I'll tell you why so they said we need every single thing right down to the last teaspoon that you need so I went I went home we got home at 7 o'clock I wrote everything out took a few hours and emailed it in and the next day they were then I got into the third episode and then it was six parts and by the fourth episode I was like oh shite what if like I can't go to a final now Emirates sponsored the show and Emirates had just put on a, a, the, the first direct flight to Dubai from Dublin and I remember talking to David Gillick and I was saying I think the final's going to be in Dubai and he's like what and I said they said to us don't use pork or alcohol in your menu oh, and we have to there's a reason why no there's, a, there's, on a, there's a reason why you have to submit it so far in advance because they have to, to send to it to some place in the middle of nowhere probably didn't it and they were like, oh, God. But David had gone to a restaurant in Australia. I think he told you this. He'd gone yeah. to yeah, a restaurant yeah, yeah. in Australia and he'd learned recipes, he'd cooked dishes, he'd cooked them. So I hadn't. I'd, I, I was working up until the day before I started Mashup. I couldn't go to a restaurant. I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. I, I had no pressure. Wow, even more impressive. And then, then we got to the semi-final and I got through and I went, I cannot go. And they said, <laughs> good news. Like it's, you're, you're in the final. Pack your bags. Tomorrow... We're flying to Dubai for the final. Hour. Oh, was and was it that tomorrow? short notice? This oh, was, yeah, no, okay. this was Friday. We're okay, yeah, yeah, but still really short notice. Because I went to get a spray tan the next day. They went, you can't turn up with a different colour face. And I went, well, we're going to Dubai. No, you're not going to see the sun at all. But then I forgot that the final was in Dubai. Yeah. So yeah, Monday, went, we flew out to Dubai. And then I was in a panic. And it was Angus McGrena, David Gillick and myself. And Angus is, he's a brilliant cook. And he's been cooking a lot longer than me and at yeah. a higher level than me. And they had, they, I said, show me your recipes. And even, I remember on the plane, they were going, no one does a chocolate fondant. And I said, oh, you have to really curate a menu. And also I had, we did a uh, dessert challenge with Claire Clark. Was it Claire Clark? Yeah, in Claire French Clark, laundry. Yeah. In, and she was She's amazing. She's a pastry yeah. chef. She's and she singing. said to me, I would give you a job in the morning based on that. I'd never done desserts, but I yeah. loved, it was so methodical and logical. And how did you write a re- like, how did you write a recipe? How did you know how to write a recipe? For the final. No, and you know, you had to write the recipe for the seafood ravioli, for the beef, and then for the fondant. I kind of half cheated. I like, I, because we were, they said, you have to give us your, your recipe. So I went home and I Googled pasta. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, just to t- the quantities. Yeah. No, I'm not going to lie, I did. Yeah, but I'm sure, not that's a trained what, chef. That's what we do. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not, I, and they had to be original. So I just looked at different recipes and tweaked them. Yeah. Okay. I'm not yeah. going to lie, Gareth, because I'm not I'd a trained chef. I'd say then, though, when you got to the final, you're like, holy shit, I'm doing steak and chips. I, I, I know. Butchered. 
Why, but like, there's like you know no pun intended but where, I know, you know so you show up to the final mass chef and you're like going oh my god I know and I looked like an idiot and because I'd almost <laughs> won the dessert challenge and we'd done this agar jelly and really fine creams and, yeah I was going to say you had a layered dessert was it oh yeah. it was deconstructed trifle you had I'll a never reds, forget it yeah. and I really and, and I said to the producer like please can I I will I will give you a kidney I'll, I'll cook my own kidney I'll do whatever it takes please she went I'm really sorry we've sent your ingredients ahead you can use the same ingredients and do something else but you can't Fundamentally change. And did it get lashed out with then? Or did it get stick? That is a load of nonsense. What a stupid way to make it show. Yeah, but I I don't know. But I I didn't think I'd get to the final, Gary. Yeah. So I was in, we were in the desert. And we were in this kitchen that was in this, it was a five-star hotel that had this, um, these tents in the desert. They had a, yeah. The kitchen was beautiful. It was also it was an industrial kitchen. It had never been an industrial kitchen. So, you know, Angus and David made their desserts and put them away in the fridge. But my dessert had to be made fresh. You can't cook a steak and mm. stick it in the fridge. No. My pasta and seafood. Had, so I, and you had to, we had two hours prep. And then they made us leave the kitchen for an hour to prove that you understand prep and all that. And I came out. They really put you under, under oh, the pressure, yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember David going, she's going she's gonna to cry. She's going to cry. Like, There's nothing more annoying and than, the, cons- than putting the Ah, Gary, it was a joke. And I knew it was a joke. And even the staff in the kitchen there, we had staff to help us just with dishes and stuff, like just with washing pans, and then we had no help at all. So then, and then the we were, the kitchen was, was really cold. And then the dishes were left in a kind of a pass there, which is quite warm. And it took maybe half an hour, because, you know, they had, they have, we had to have them all ready at the same time. Mm. Yeah. And then Nick and Dylan, my dish came out. And also, the, oh God, if I think about it now, it's just butt clenching. <laughs> When we left the kitchen for an, I made a Bernay sauce to go up my steak. Lovely. There was there was a, a silver area beside my Last. hob. It was a heated area, so oh, I, I put the Bernays on it. Oh, no. I came back and it was scrambled eggs. Oh no! And I was kind of I just went. I, and I, the night before I hadn't slept at all I lay awake with these ingredients going maybe I can go in tomorrow and blindside them and make, maybe I can use the pasta ingredients to make a dessert maybe I can just go I have my ingredients you can't stop me I'll do something entirely different yeah, but I, I'm not a chef I can't do that so I, I tried it, to make so a, now with all the experience what would you have done different well I would have done a much more impre- well I would have been logical doing if you have to do a full menu first of all make your dessert and put it in the fridge and that's done well you've done a hot start or hot main obviously oh, a hot I dessert. know yeah, because I mean, I maybe I've a slow, the, a slow cooked meat or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. Again, you can prep it, put it in, exactly. and that's it done. And they would they would allow you to do some of that before of recording, course. would they? Yeah, yeah. Because I remember watching the show, and the final was probably, you know, not not to use the word like your worst day, but I mean, like it it probably was the one where. You know, you were on a trajectory, and going back to what you said earlier, like, and and you're absolutely spot on. You write your menu at the end because your galler knowledge. Each, you know, you imagine you might be in his kitchen or my kitchen or somebody else's kitchen, putting that knowledge together for the final. Then, because you were every week getting better and better. I and better. learned so much, Gary. I mean, I learned ask of so much. Of course, you learned so much. Like, but to be but to be asked to write a menu for the final. At at the second or they're third week. They're gonna kill week. me for no, You had to sign a non-disclosure then that you. Yeah. Because we filmed the show, it was about April, May 2013, and we went out in the autumn. So we designed a non-disclosure. Like we knew David had won. He couldn't. He didn't. He didn't tell half his family he won. He, he had. He hid the, the trophy right, yeah. in his wardrobe. Yeah, he was telling us. Like yeah, a load yeah, of yeah. adult magazines. Don't look in the wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't. David Gill does not keep adult magazines in his wardrobe. <laughs> I just like to say that for the record. Um, but and then well, then when the show aired and we to do all the press, people were saying, Maya, can we just ask you? Like you did. You seem to learn so much as you went, and then you did this really bizarre. 
basic menu. Uh, Why? And I had to go, oh, because I'm just an well, idiot. It'd make but the I couldn't whole lot of say, sense, no? I wasn't allowed to say, well, because we had to submit it. Now, I should have had more cop on, but I never thought I'd get to the front. I was like, this is yeah. just academic. Because, you know, Gary Cook from Apre Match, he was in it. Gary's That's a great right. guy. He was a terrible cook, but he was great fun. And he basically, I think he just wrote down super noodles. Was, After two days, like two uh, weeks yeah, of the uh, show, but two days. And Did I, you I take skills but it from really that, that made me carried I, forward. I was haunted by it for a few weeks. So I was really? like, think of what, and I kept coming up with the menu I would have done. It's like you just oh, have to let it go. Yeah, when the press were asking, like, who does pasta, steak, and a fondant in a final? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I'm a moron. Yeah. Hey. Couldn't be argued if you'd done it really well. I might have won. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, if you didn't scramble your bare <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well, now, cheers, Gary. Yeah. Where were you 10 years ago? As simple as it was, you still made a ball. <laughs> what you, what, I know. <laughs> I did. You know what I mean? But it wasn't that it was, each of them was relatively simple, but had to be done at the same time. Yeah, like, yeah, even yeah. for a great chef, like yeah. you guys, skill. could you have done three dishes? Well, you could have done your fondant they had a time. Piss off. Just mm. I didn't. But you, you can, yeah, yeah you can. It's actually yeah. works out better. It's far better, yeah. You like yeah. I didn't really want to cut you at the really? knees. Really? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I did a pistachio ice cream and I kind of canelled the hell out of it. Oh, that, cool. <laughs> that on afterwards. But I mean, you absolutely could have had your fondant. But then the middle just eventually goes solid. Could, no, actually, no, you no, keep no. it in the fridge. They cook better from the fridge. Eh? You cook better from the you fridge. You better the chance pork. of getting this. Uh, you a put a ganache. You put a ganache into the middle. You're really stitched up, whoever's. Sorry. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, do you know what was amazing? That I, because um, David went on, again, being an athlete, takes things very seriously and brought a cookbook. You would have taken but it seriously. I, I don't believe you. Oh, no, no, but it. I mean it. But I mean, you know, people, like someone like him does things, they just do things so well. Mm, and I, yeah. I, I went straight back onto my series and had to make up time. And, but I learned, the things that I learned stay with you. Things like cooking for, a group and mm-hmm. even little this sounds so sad for people like you you, you probably just when you're 15 but I remember doing that we didn't do a restaurant service we did a, a meal for kind of 25 people it was out in Gavin Duffy's big country manor and things like you know Dylan was saying cook all your veg just drop it in ice and then you heat it up again in butter yeah. and those little things I had never done before because mm-hmm. I didn't cook for 25 people and so and I remember making fondant potatoes and I had kind of a load of stock and a bit of butter and Dylan comes around and he goes he's not meant to help and he goes and he just dropped in I think about a pound of butter yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went, the deliciousness you, you mean doing and he went <laughs> You'll see. You'll yeah. see. So I basically boiled them in butter. Yeah, like, yeah. These are That's amazing. why they taste so good. I know. <laughs> but even blanching the veg, like, I mean, even at home for me and yeah. Eddie and the kids, I, I blanch veg. But, well, especially green veg because yeah. you burst the chlorophyll out and you'll never get a pea green unless you go through the blanch and refresh process yeah. so it's I just so, do it by osmosis nearly it's like, obvious you know, for you but for habit. people like me who, who weren't um, yeah. trained cooks at all those little things have stayed with me so now I like, cooking for a crowd doesn't faze me at all like, yeah, I'll do simple things but those things you go yeah okay well I'll do my green veg I'll blanch it yeah, have yeah. it ready to go heat it back up yeah. so those little things have stayed with me and yeah. I did try the deconstructed trifle that took like three hours I made it once for my brother's birthday and I was going like you had to make the um, like there was a little kind of creme anglaise that was in a little tube so I went into a DIY shop and I was buying little tiny plastic uh, yeah. plumbing bits Pipes, to make yeah. it in and he was like I said no it's it's actually for a deconstructed truck <laughs> my friend um, I don't do that anymore but because uh, afterwards I was I'd never made desserts and I was so obsessed with the magic of patisserie I, w- I wanted to go and it's do a bit well you were because I tell you you really stood out to me because I do remember watching obsessed. that one episode and I was like Jesus I'd be cooking a long time and I would not make that that good I you did that why do you think that me is? watching it you know what, like that you like pastry is a totally different skill set. You have to I, be super methodical and 
follow the recipe. I think and I am. The thing yeah, is, in my great. career, I fought for a creative career and I don't think I'm very good at it, Garrett. That's the problem. <laughs> I have to work. And I have a column in a Sunday paper now and I've written for TV shows yeah. and I have written but that's a fairly disappointing book and I've ghosted for other people. But I have to work really hard at it. Yeah. Really hard at it. And I don't think other creative they say to me oh we do too and I go oh not as hard oh, I don't I have believe to. that I think anybody Whereas when something is really like my dad was an accountant by trade and I kind of should have gone down I like when things I was always very good at maths in school and I love when things work out Dishing It Out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins a Go Loud original podcast proudly sponsored by Cully and Sully now is the perfect time to dig into a Cully and Sully risotto Go Loud sounds better with us Dishing It Out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins. A Go Loud original podcast. Cully and Sully's squashed veggie soup is in season and the perfect warming meal. Go Loud. Sounds better with us. Yeah, so one. then going from that to writing comedy, like, well, I know. Because like, I mean, I know this is, a, I suppose, in one way a foodie podcast, but this is really about you two and you're a guest, you know. Like, but I mean, Podge and Raj was unbelievable. I know. And were you the main writer, or oh, was there a few writers on that show? No, the, just lads, you? the lads wrote themselves, but just yeah. sometimes, like, their hands are so short and fat, they just had trouble holding <laughs> the pen sometimes. So, you know, I would, yeah. only, I would, I would. It's not the Tonight Show, you don't have a whole career, the Saturday Night Live, there's not 10 is. I know. Just you know you. what, though? That's the big problem in Ireland. Yeah. I think we have some of the best writers in the world in Ireland but we don't put enough into development and people look at things like The Simpsons or some of the UK comedies and they go oh why can't we do that because they put so much into it and you have teams and teams yeah. of really smart people and it's a real disappointment well, you, see, we don't, you see we it don't. at the recent strikes just, I know there's just literally nothing being made writers go on strike there's no Oops. shows being made Yeah. because there's no Jimmy Fallon there's no Saturday Night Live without 20, 30 writers in the background. So how many would write for you know? Padre much? The, well, they, they, they mainly write their, their own jokes. Okay. But, um, you know, they're stuck out in Ballydung Manor and uh, they don't get many It's visitors. just her so then. I would go out, clean their toilets, make a <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, write a couple of jokes. Okay. Where do you pull comedy from like if you're like where, where does your head go like or is it just whatever is the gutter again yeah the gutter. <laughs> you know what, well the best comedy is in the gutter I, still, anyway, I, but... I, I miss some of the stuff we used to say and some oh. of the things we used we used to write it's funny because David Norris was was our first guest who's who's right. leaving the he's Senate now. he's a brilliant guy and when he was on and um, but you had you, you really had to understand the show and he came on and this is a long time ago and it is it was kind of a different era like you're talking mm. God but Lucy was the great 20 host years ago. she was deadly well you have to be able to take the joke yeah, yeah. It's, it's a roasting and this is the thing I remember when David our first guests were Dermot Gavin and, and David Norris and David Norris and I was so lucky he was my he was one of my tutors in college like oh well so you knew him yeah. right okay I don't think he remembered me at all he was like oh my darling of course I remember you went, you don't but that's fine yeah, yeah. and we had a competition he was like we want you to help us choose the gayest biscuit in Ireland he's like I would love to choose the gayest biscuit in Ireland and the what answer what did he choose oh we had it was, it was between a lady's finger oh, uh, bourbon cream or Kimberly Mikado and he said oh that's got two pink cheeks and a squirt of cream in the middle that's got to be the winner and we this is the kind of stuff we did and it was so much fun and everyone has said is the time not right for it to come back it did come back four years ago that's right the show came back for another series and you know, I think I think there's a way to do roasting and pull it back a little bit and become not more gentle, but just more, Softer. I don't know, generationally appropriate. Right. Um, but I don't. I I thought it was still hilariously funny, but I think 
you've got to choose your guests wisely then because yeah. some people can just get very offended. Actually, the Irish guests always rated the best. We got some guests in from the UK, some of the big soap stars, reality stars, and they were just utterly bemused by this, going, what? And then some of them were very offended. <laughs> we had we had a couple of walk-offs. Paul, really? Dan- Paul Daniels, God rest his soul, he had said, I don't want to talk about the elephant video. We went, okay. We didn't put right. it, he didn't put it in writing. And yeah. the elephant, <laughs> you know about the elephant video? Oh. He was asked... Um, he was fooled into doing this charity video for an elephant that got its trunk, its, its trunk stuck up its own backside in Thailand. <laughs> never happened, never happened. And, and, we, and of course, we had to show the video and he was appalled. <laughs> and the face on him, the face on him. And then you'd people who just got like Sinead O'Connor. Again, God, just another one who's gone, but uh, much nicer than Paul Daniels, just to be clear. But Sinead O'Connor just got the joke and just got into it. She had the courage of her convictions and she was unapologetic. Whereas mm, I'm sometimes yeah. scared of my own shadow and you're going to go... I, I don't think believe I, that. No, I am. And so like, I wish I had the courage of my own convictions 100%. Where really? you say something and you go, no, I am. I, now, things like I have a very strong sense of fairness and there's things that I will stick by. But some, I can be quite easily undermined. I'm a really sensitive person. And so was Sinead. But I also admired the fact that she would go, no, I am not changing from this position at all. But uh, she was great crack on the show. She, uh, you know, she taught the picture the Pope. On yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she didn't, well, know, didn't, she didn't know we were doing this, but we had a tea cloth, a tea towel on the table. <laughs> and Padre goes, I don't, you know, we've just realised that uh, tearing a picture from by you was worth like a hundred of our shows for, you know, knocking someone out of the park. So if you lift up the tea towel there, can you tear up that picture? And it's a picture of Louis Walsh. She went, <laughs> I'd be delighted. It was very funny. Louis Walsh. So yeah. uh, we also ask all our guests to bring on a cookbook that means an awful lot to them or they cook out of it or they stack their favourite pan on it but something that is a go-to for you what did you go with? I was very last minute and I thought about it and I was trying to think of cookbooks to impress you and then I thought there's no point in doing that I live in an apartment I'm really short on space I don't keep many cookbooks mm-hmm. I've got a couple of the kind of bible ones Delia Smith and the old ones that I go back to but I have this and it may, might make me cry but uh, my lovely mum passed away last year. That's right. Um, from pancreatic cancer, and it was, and it's been awful. But my mum loved Christmas. She loved cooking, but especially from from September, she would start planning what she was going to cook, and and she stockpiled these recipes. And I found this last year after she died, her Christmas recipe folder. Oh. Um, and it's got it, this is only kind of a small. She had a second one as well, but they're the ones that were tried and tested by her. She tore out of magazines and newspapers. They're actually and pa- pages of yeah. But she'd stick them onto a, uh, she'd stick them onto paper as well, oh, and yeah. uh, and then she would mark some of them with. Um, well, anyone that follows you on social would know. I know just how much I know. Mammy meant to you. Yeah. I met you just before Christmas. Remember last year you were and you were telling me you were about to cook Christmas. Yeah. And or you were like, I can't believe I have to replicate Christmas. And I was like, you'd be grand, you'd be fine. Yeah. yeah but you know what Garrett did? Garrett said, can I help you? Maybe I could do your gravy for you. He's so kind, and you meant it. But there were things like my mum always made this. I think it was a Dominique Kemp recipe. It was a, it was a salmon terrine. Oh yeah, yeah. You told and, me. Uh, mine was a little bit mushy, but these little, <laughs> these little, these small things, these small things matter. You know, these yeah. things. And how many matter. would normally? How many would it be? Like at the Christmas table, does it change every year? Like, well, I, I went out to my dad's then because yeah. I'm, I don't have that much space. Yeah, but my family is really small. Is it? And uh, yeah, and then then you know when my my son's dad, like when we were together, his family were huge, and I always loved the idea of this massive family. But so I'd go over to his family after Christmas, and I would do but like big pots of like yeah, yeah, Guinness yeah. casserole and a big vegetarian option that nobody ever ate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there would be this the smallest year was twenty five people, the biggest was forty five. Wow. 
I loved that. Yeah. It, it all got mental, you know. Sorry, this is the, this is like St. Helens, north of England. It got mental. But my family, like my mum, uh, my mum was an only child. My dad only had one brother. He passed away last year as well. So our family, unusually for an Irish family, and my mum's family were Spanish, we were very small. So we didn't have that many people. Now, there were some years we'd have kind of people who didn't have anyone that year would just come and join us. My mum was always like, look, the more the merrier. Yeah, it's welcome, such an important day in Irish country. Oh, it really yeah. is, yeah. Like, it's yeah. So, like, everyone you talk to has a different meaning and something happens and whether it's the start or the stuffing or but the, no matter the how old you get yeah and I've seen it with couples when they my friends and they get married and they'll say like let's call them you know Mary and Brian Mary will say well Brian's family don't do Christmas pudding or Mary's family yeah, don't yeah. have presents before mass they don't even go to mass and it's funny how people's idiosyncrasies are really kind of compacted at Christmas yeah. and things and was yours a traditional house in the Irish sense or did your mammy have it a traditional Christmas in the Spanish sense then like what? no it was very it was I, I I don't know. I, it's funny because we, oh, we, we weren't mixy we weren't matchy, maybe. we weren't hugely religious. Yeah. Either so, we would we we. Was a turkey and ham? I think is what Gary wants. Oh yeah. Oh, oh sorry, food wise. <laughs> yeah. I thought you meant with the mass. I was like no no no. no I couldn't care less about mass. <laughs> like the mass. No, there really wasn't much mass. Yeah, turkey and ham. My sister's been vegetarian for a long time. So, but my mum would always go, like half of this folder is full of various stuffed mushrooms and she's like, not roast. It's very dry. Is it possible yeah, to yeah. make a nice one? Yeah. So she would do all it's sorts not. of... It's not. tricky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we, we would... Um, and is New Year's Eve, was New Year's Eve a big thing then for your mum? Because the Spanish do that whole 12 grapes and that was ever a couple of no. I don't know about Spain, but I know Italians no. do seafood... Christmas Eve, Poland is, is Christmas they Eve. Christmas Eve is their big day. Christmas Eve is big in Poland. It's yeah. really big in Poland. It's really big in Italy. So January the sixth is big in Spain. Yeah. But my my family, my Spanish family, was so complicated. My my grandmother Conchita, she kind of left. She left Spain during the Civil War, and we only found out my granddad was Portuguese. Right. And there was a lot of secrecy around. Um, and my granny said he, he was Portuguese Jew. She was Spanish Catholic, and that they got married, and his family disowned him. And he had come from a wealthy family. She hadn't, and that he left. They they moved to London, and my mum was born there. And then he left and went back to Portugal because his family. He was like life with no money was no fun. Turns out none of that was true at all. And we only found out recently that they were never married. And well. my poor granny, she was a really, she was a very unhappy person and very resentful and she was really beautiful my granny and always said to me you know, oh you're lucky that your family can afford to educate you because you're not pretty and that face won't work for you I was like oh thanks she was very harsh I can say it now because my mum my mum my mum would hate me saying this but well, actually my mum would say it too it was um she was tough, but she had a really hard life. And right. it's, we found, wow. I found her, she married an English man then, about 25 years later. Um, and I think it was probably to get an English passport. But we found, the, I found the marriage cert and it just says Conchita Barranco Domingue Spinster. And if she'd been married to my granddad, it would have said divorce. Divorced, divorced, yeah. And it all makes sense now. Oh, and you've only found this out relatively recently. Two years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I've, been trying, I've been trying to trace my granddad's family. And, uh, there's there's little snippets of it, and he was he's definitely part of. There was a very strong Jewish community in Barcelona who helped a lot of children flee to South America um, during the Second World War. It's really interesting, but I still I can't quite find him. Well, interesting. Mm. Is there a one recipe in there that you'll definitely make this year? It's the salmon terrine. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's a mixture of smoked salmon, um, fresh salmon, salmon tons of herbs. Yeah, you make a salmon mousse. You know, look at you not. No, no, I'm just. But it's sorry. really hard to make it without making. Last year it was a. Exactly. The first time I made it, my mum was sick. I said, I'll make the terrine. And she's like, it looks like a blancmange. It's fine, I'll do it. <laughs> she was really unwell and she still made it. And last year I cooked it a bit too much and it was quite solid. But 
And um, what's Tom like for eating? Will he eat whatever's oh gone? It breaks my heart. He's so fussy. Oh, and no. I heard David Gillock talking about kids eating scallops. Like, stop but no, as that, yeah, but then they stopped eating all of that. So Yeah. Well, no, no, he said they only stopped eating porridge. He didn't oh, say they yeah. stopped eating scallops and salmon. Oh, and God, love him. They stopped eating yeah. porridge. Did they? I was like, geez, I think you'll get over that, David. Yeah. Dry your eyes. And my son ate everything. And I was one of those smug people that said, we'll never be ordering off a kid's menu. He'll eat whatever I have. Chicken nugget. Is he? Does he go to any after schools or does he get food at crash or school at any time or no? Because that's whenever everything went south yeah. for our kids. Like they were grand eating all the stuff that I was going, and then you know after school because Annette's still working or I, and I'm still working. So there's a couple of hours there with after school, so they get fed. Thankfully, it's great. But all they start saying is like, "Oh, Becky's shepherd's pie is better, and Becky's chicken curry is better." And so now I get graded. There's me. There's Becky and there's Paula. <laughs> and Paula's brown bread's better. My curry's better than Becky's, but not as good as whatever. And that's, oh, I wish I had that problem. Yeah. He won't eat it. He's in after school. He's in after school today, actually. Yeah. Um, but he, and and he, I bet he eats everything in he there. He won't touch mm. it. Oh, will he not? He's so thin, it breaks my heart. So I have to make him a packed lunch. No one else has a packed lunch. He gets, school, he gets a school meal. He won't eat it. And I've tried not giving him the meal. And I have friends that go, be tougher. And I go, he just doesn't eat them. I don't believe him. I really, really feel about kid, just getting kids he, to eat. Yeah, I think the worst thing you can do is, is turn food into a battle. Yeah. Oh, I problematic, and also yeah. we know our own kids, and Tom's a really sensitive boy. And if you push him or get across them, he just goes into himself and yeah. gets upset. He ate everything till he was about three. Like he was eating chili peanut noodles and right. avocado, and he was having. I used to make these little seafood cakes for him, and now it's a lot of beige. Now he's a limited diet. You think it was the mushy salmon terrine last <laughs> Christmas that <laughs> fucking <laughs> over the edge? Or was yeah. it the scrambled eggs? Scrambled eggs. Yeah. Yeah. It was yes, I did a scallop with a bit of Bernays. Yeah. Is it Mammy's fault? <laughs> oh my god, that's that's just bullying. I know, yeah, we just you can't be but slagging you know your guests like that. Yeah, we do a thing where uh, I get the kids to pick a dish out of uh, the cookbooks. I've loads and loads of cookbooks, and we I'd be like, I don't care what it is, find something in there. That it's not on our menu. It's not part of our food, and then I'll make it for us. And if we don't like it, we don't like it. So they go in and they have to find now Zach is 16 now right and George is 13 so they're, uh, we'd, I'd still do that I'm going no, we're eating the same stuff all the time let's just throw something different into the mix it's and a great just idea. Going, oh man is he actually having a laugh here and then they'll, they'll pick yeah. something that's almost what we're doing the sauce would be slightly different yeah. or whatever but then they buy into it a little bit but I hate hearing people saying oh you need to be stricter with them make yeah. them eat this and make them but oh. all this stuff Garth, goes into the bank mm. even stuff like we, we have a tiny space with a little balcony but you know people you grow, grow stuff grow your own yeah. food yeah, yeah. he still doesn't eat we grow peas and tomatoes but still it's all going in ah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. so he yeah. might eat one but he's still going to grow up remembering well we cook different food we grew different bits of food I that is it. my approach so to golf Maya, <laughs> one good shot every nine holes. One good shot. It's in the bank. Yeah. Someday, it's all going to exactly. come together, and I'm going to be a good player. What a good analogy. Yes. Yeah. And then I'm going to stop. One good shot. <laughs> okay, Maya. Thank you so much for joining us on dishing it out. We learned another whole bank of things about you. So, uh, I would have never said you were nervous when I seen you at these oh, awards. Oh so I still God. don't believe that. Oh, but thank you so much me. for uh, joining us. Will you make my gravy this year? For yeah, I'll make your gravy. <laughs> Thanks. Deal. He'll make the terrine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll make the terrine probably. <laughs> okay, so up now, Russell, have we any culinary conundrums or questions coming into us this week? Yes. 
We do indeed quite a few questions this week to get through, so let's get straight to it. Remember, if you do have any questions yourself, dishing at goloudnow.com or you can badger these two fellas on their Instagrams and social media uh, at any point as well and they'll tell me what you're asking. First question from Matt and Sligo. Have you any tips on making crispy chicken wings? Yes, I do I, I only made crispy chicken wings yesterday. Love chicken wings, to you? Yeah, I absolutely. Here's the, they're actually yeah. a real Achilles heel for me. I absolutely love chicken wings. So do I. Yeah, and uh, I could eat them through. Do you like the? You know do you what? like the, the dirty the, sock? Do you like the flat ones or the the knuckle side? I prefer I prefer the wee flat boys. Yeah, yeah, really? yeah the wee Denise flat boys. The same. I think uh, she likes the. Fl- I actually like the ones. You the like the more drumsticky drum ones? I yeah. think by choice because if I eat the other ones, I get grief. My daughter <laughs> likes the, the, them ones as well. Salt them really, really well. I like to salt them about an hour before I cook them as well, okay? So nice wee bit of fine sea salt and I sprinkle a little bit of dried chili flakes. I'm not mad about too much spice. So when I say like a a little dusting of chili flakes, it's not going to add too much heat, but it does add a nice wee bit of depth of flavor to them, right? And recently, whenever I I did a demo, as I do every year at Bloom in the Park in Phoenix Park, and there was a company, I think it might have been Mead's Farm, they gave me this potato starch. They were going around. Mm. So I've actually ran out of the potato starch just, this weekend but corn flour does the same job so what I do is I I roll them ideally in potato starch if you don't have that roll them completely cover them in corn flour and then I have a a sort of old school first generation air fryer that has like the wee base that moves around and spins around so I put them in the air fryer for about 40, 40 to 43 minutes is usually perfect and it cooks them nice and slow and it's rendering the fat which is absolutely ideal like you don't put them on a surface that's too hot right away the outside cooks too quick and then it's not tender enough in the inside so the air fryer low and slow is the best way of doing it and it cooks them they get crispy in their own time nice and steady and it keeps rotating until the outside's lovely and crispy. And that seasoning that you've done then, that hour beforehand, it's given the meat time to absorb it right down into the bone. Absolutely beautiful. But without the potato starch or without the corn flour, you will not get the same level of crisp essential. What about you, Gaz? What do you think? Yeah, I like to take a slightly different approach. I like to, I like to season the flour with like... You know, a little bit of smoked paprika, yeah. tiny little bit of cumin, coriander, tiniest bit of cayenne because the kids don't actually like them that spicy. And then a little bit of bacon powder mixed in, which was plain flour. It's, it kind of gives you more of a puffier yeah. finish. Um, bubbly skin. Little yeah. bubbly skin. But like, And I think what's important is that you don't leave them in the flour for too long because the mo- once the salt hits the moisture on the wing, it tends to turn it into like a batter. So you just literally quickly toss your wings through that seasoned flour mix with a tiny little bit of bacon powder air fryers are brilliant but if you haven't got one if you just take your tray from your oven and take the grill part of it so the whole idea you want the you want the hot air to circulate around the whole wing so don't put it on a flat tray you need to get it lifted up onto a grill 
and then into a preheated oven at 170 to get them started off I agree with that part and then higher them up a little bit and then it's really whether you like a, a hot sauce to serve with them or you like a, a barbecue piece. sauce yeah. to, I make this really lovely whiskey and maple syrup barbecue sauce the kids really like that I actually think that's up on my Instagram mm. and then uh, that's it and you have to have blue cheese and I think you said it last week don't puree the, the cheese yeah. Work it in with yeah. it into some mayonnaise and a bit of crap. Yeah, I, I love crozier blue or cashew blue, and just probably two, three parts blue cheese broken up into thick chunks, one part heavy. Hellman's mayonnaise must be Hellman's and mix that up and then um, Frank's hot sauce like so I toss them in Frank's hot sauce and old school with a hot sauce and then the blue cheese without a shadow of a doubt as well celery peeled celery sticks and carrot sticks put them into a little container wash them and then cover them with cold water and put a good shovel of ice maybe a good dozen ice cubes on top really really ice cold water and as that 40 45 minutes that the wings are cooking have your carrot and celery sticks in the ice water it really really adds another level of crispness to the carrot stick and the celery and that's a nice little cooling element not just the fact that you're getting a, a little bit of veg in as well when you're yeah. eating you know there's no, not going to try and start preaching about being healthy but it is that hot cold combo and the texture combo absolutely beautiful wings now, do you? I know yeah I'm, I'm making wings when I go up the road today I know I'm so sorry for asking that question first rather than last you have to, a few more to get through um Thank you so much for that one, Matt. Uh, next, uh, Sinead is in Wicklow. Uh, my mother gave me a stovetop pressure cooker she no longer wanted, but I don't know where to start with it. There's loads of recipes online, but I wonder what both of you think are some nice dishes to try out in it and if you have any tips for using it. You don't really see them that often anymore, the pressure cookers. I think the electric uh, slow cookers have kind of taken their place, but... It, that's it you just treat it exactly like an electric uh, slow cooker so just be careful to make sure that you've tightened the valve correctly on the top mm. because that's what keeps the pressure or the, the heat inside and you like hams are good to cook in there if you don't want to go down the casserole route any of your pulled dishes so pulled pork pulled chicken any of those mm. um, th that's really the approach I take with it like you know so I mean, I could list off 20 recipes that you could cook in there, but really, use uh, go and search online. Any of them that are going to be in a slow cooker will work exactly the same in a pressure cooker. It's just the opposite way around, essentially, isn't it? Instead of it being slow, it's a faster way. Yeah, but it's cooking. the same type of thing. It's yeah. about keeping all that inside. Um, and it's, it's really amazing for tenderizing cheaper cuts of meat if you think about it like that so if you wanted to do a shoulder of pork or a shoulder of lamb or uh, you know chicken toys rather than trying to use breasts or that's really what it's for um, I haven't seen one even in a kitchen in years yeah well you you took the words out of my mouth I mean the only the only time they're ever really beneficial is if you found yourself on the likes of a master chef and you needed to create a second class cut fast which really goes against the grain of anything a chef will ever tell you, like about low and slow, which really low and slow incorporates time and flavor into a dish, right? Pressure cookers were something that were in every single household growing up. A lot of chefs liked them. 
there may be chefs dealing on different types of cuisine to what we're dealing with you know what I mean like whether it's more rapid for stocks or stuff like that there I don't know about Chinese kitchens or Indian kitchens possibly but for me I've never owned one granny used to have one I always remember seeing granny using one I've never had one I've no intentions of ever buying one but if I was to use one the I, I would say the only benefit I would I would see from it would be maybe the Christmas ham cooking it that wee bit quicker yeah it'd be grand to have that job done a wee bit quicker and and clear off a stove ring a wee bit quicker on a Sunday for lunch instead of waiting maybe four hours or five hours for a lamb shank or a lamb shoulder that I would do every now and again you might knock it out in an hour and a half or night like 70 80 minutes possibly I've seen some chefs use them but there was no part of me that would want to buy one very good answer yeah so no wonder uh, Sinead's mother passed <laughs> yeah, down yeah. and got rid of it. No use to her. Um, <clears> this <throat> is a less of a cooking question and more of a career question. Uh, hi, guys. My son is going into transition year next year and is keen on a career as a chef. Have you any advice on how he should play out the next few years? And that's from Maura in Kinsale. Yeah, well, if you're in Kinsale, there's a couple of really good restaurants down there and some really good chefs. What I would say to anybody, transition year is a fantastic time, pressure free, to dip your toe in the water and and literally test out that environment and see does it suit you. Um, you've got Rare and Conceal, you've got uh, is it Bastion that got a Michelin star that's in Kinsale a good friend of mine and Marty and Fishy Fishy it's a wonderful kitchen Marty and Marie are two of the nicest people in Irish hospitality that'd be a brilliant kitchen to start in they do everything right there everything's done from scratch Martin would obviously be very well known for his seafood menus and he's a, he's a big uh, advocate for Irish sustainable seafood that'd be a brilliant kitchen not intimidating in any way to to start in. Uh, the guys at Rare and Conceal, I don't know them personally, but from the from a distance, they look like an amazing bunch of people. You have the Blue Haven group down there, some amazing hotels. Take a gander, at, go and ask any one of those really good, well-established restaurants or hotels in your town. Conceal is, is one of the biggest tourist hubs in Ireland, a, an unbelievable place to start a career in hospitality and just test the water and, and see if it's for you and you'll know fairly quickly. The only piece of advice I'm going to give is a piece of advice that I, or the advice I received and it's always, always, always pick the best kitchen that you can get into. I think especially early in your career, if you have any type of a talent, lesser kitchens generally offer good chefs more money at the start. So like you might be a commie chef and some lesser establishment will offer you a more senior position than you're ready for and that's very tempting at the start of your career but the piece of advice that I got and I still live by and I still give is that don't chase money at the early part of your career chase experience and good chefs that you, you that you respect and that you like the style of food that they cook and that you can learn from and there will become a time after 18 months, two years, possibly three years, depending on the size of the establishment, that'll be time to move on. And then, then you go and you talk to your chef about saying, right, it's time for me now to move into my nef- next kitchen. And most chefs will always find their good go- guys and girls their next step. And I'd say that's what, if, if, you, if the chef that you're working for isn't talking to you like that at the early stage of your career, 
you're probably not in the right kitchen. I think good kitchens will always be looking at your next next kitchen to go to. And then once you get in with a chef like that, there'll be a mentor, a friend, a colleague, probably for your whole career. Excellent advice. Thank you so much for those answers and thank you so much for those questions. Dishing at goloudnow.com is where you can send them on to and we'll get to more of those next week. Thank you very much for listening. This was Dishing It Out, a Go Loud original podcast sponsored by Cully and Sully. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Go Loud app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can rate and review the podcast too. Don't forget to email your queries to dishing at goloudnow.com. And for myself, Gary, and my co-host Gareth, thanks very much for listening and we'll catch up with you next week. Dishing It Out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins at Go Loud original podcast. Proudly sponsored by Coley and Sully. Deliciously fresh, tastes like homemade ingredients you find in your kitchen. Go Loud. Sounds better with us.